welcome to Infatuated, the podcast for people who really fancy a good story. I'm your host Emily. And I'm Rebecca and we're here to talk about some stories today. Emily, how has your week been? My week has been alright. I can't honestly think of any highlights apart from I just got that book order that I have showed to you before we started <laughs> recording this. That is a highlight. Um, yes, I have I have six more books to read. Yeah, uh, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> that, that's all I have to say. <laughs> you got a haircut. Your hair is oh, I done. Did. I did. I got a haircut. It's finally First short again. Haircut. Yeah, I was so happy. My hairdresser is an angel. I was getting so sick of it being long. For anyone who doesn't know, I, I never have my hair long. It was well past it when I booked an appointment and then that appointment couldn't happen because of lockdown. Okay. And so it's been it's been a while, but it's good now. Yeah, it's the, probably the longest that I've ever seen your hair in real life. Yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely the longest it has been since like high school. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, <laughs> um, I know. I'm looking forward to. I think I'm getting a haircut tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to that. Even though like I'm doing the opposite, I'm trying to like grow mine longer because it's yeah. currently the shortest that it's ever been. But she's raggedy. So how has um, your week been? My week's been all right. I've had a raging migraine for like four days, but I don't even have like the type of migraine where you can like take to your bed like a Victorian lady because it's not even yeah. that bad. So that's not been great. But I did have a highlight, which I wanted to tell you about. I don't think I actually spoke to you about this. So Sabrina Benham, who for anyone that doesn't know is like my poetic hero, spoke to me. <gasps> it was really, it was really sweet. She put one of those things on her Instagram story, like, you know, the question boxes. It was basically about, like, an, an event that she wants to run. And she's, like, been running loads of, like, online events during lockdown. But they're always on, like, Canadian time. Um, so I can never really go to them. So she, like, put a little box saying, like, does anyone have any suggestions or, like, questions for this event? So I just replied to it being, like, would you consider doing ones, like, at different times of the day so that people from different time zones could join in mm-hmm. and like I just expected it to be like I said that she reads them but she like replied to me I'm definitely gonna consider doing that and like I really want to support all my readers and all the people who want to do poetry around the world and like I love seeing what everyone's doing and anyway we ended up having a really nice conversation for like 40 minutes just Aww. over Instagram I was saying how she'd really like brightened up my day by replying to me and like how I work in the news and sometimes the news is depressing Mm -hmm. and then she said that she was proud of me for working in the news and she said I made her cry because she's working on her second book and she likes to know that her first book is still like comforting to people it was just a really wholesome exchange oh that's so sweet I'm very happy for you (laughs) yeah I I had a really good time I was proper fangirling I was crying so that was probably the highlight of my week and maybe the highlight of my lockdown so thank you Sabrina Benham for that so Emily what are you infatuated with this week I am infatuated with a non-fiction book. I thought I would mix up a bit because I read a lot of fiction, but I do like non-fiction as well. So I am going to talk about The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper. This is by Hallie Ribbonhold. And you actually bought me this book. <laughs> I did indeed. came out 2019 and it is not really about Jack the Ripper. It's about the five 
canonical woman that he brutally murdered. Cheery <laughs> subjects for a Friday afternoon. I think everyone knows who Jack the Ripper is. I'll just give a very, very brief recap of, of what happened. Between the 31st of August and the 9th of November, he killed Polly Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes and Mary Jane Kelly. Each murder took place at night and each one except Mary Jane's took place outside. And Elizabeth and Catherine were both murdered on the same night. So this book isn't exactly about his crimes, but instead is essentially calling out all the misogyny that influenced how society then viewed the victims and how this picture of the woman has like continued throughout the years because I think if you mention Jack the Ripper the immediate response is oh he killed sex workers but as Hallie points out there's only proof that two out of the five women made any money that way the story we hear is that he lured these quote-unquote fallen women to a secluded area before murdering them but she explains that that isn't true she writes jack the ripper killed prostitutes or so it has always been believed but there's no hard evidence to suggest that three of his five victims were prostitutes at all as soon as the bodies were discovered in dark yards or streets the police assumed that they were prostitutes and that they had been killed by a maniac who'd lured them to these places for sex there is and never was any proof of this either On the contrary, it was ascertained in the course of the coroner's inquest that Jack the Ripper never had sex with his victims. Additionally, in the case of each murder, there were no signs of struggle and the killings appear to have taken place in complete silence. No one in the vicinity heard any screams. The autopsies concluded that all of the women were killed while in reclining positions. In at least three of the cases, the victims were known to sleep on the street and on the nights they were killed, they did not have money for a lodging house. In the final case, the victim was murdered while in her bed. However, the police were so committed to their theories about the killer's choice of victims that they failed to conclude the obvious, that the Ripper targeted women while they slept. What? I know. Yeah, so this is only like one quote that just breaks apart like the story that we've been told but yeah, I, I can assure you that the book is full of them like the book is full of takes like that can i just say that line about the woman being killed in silence is probably the most <laughs> chilling thing that i've ever heard i know, I know. It's that's horrific. really terrifying yeah that's really yeah. compelling writing though for non-fiction just an aside exactly like, like i'm i'm gonna talk a bit more about that but the, the way she writes this book is what I loved about it. Yeah, she, she paints a picture for us. She goes into detail about what life was like for women in the Victorian era. She explains what kind of wages were expected for different jobs, how much housing cost, how people would dress, how marriage was viewed, what happened like when a couple divorced, what happened when a woman was pregnant without being married what the workhouses were really like and that's just a short list she goes into so much detail one quote uh, i'm going to read is about the tradition of getting a photograph taken there's a collection of photos of the women and their families in this book and hallie describes the process that annie chapman and her new husband would have gone through getting these photos taken like many victorian newlyweds mr and mrs john chapman made an appointment to have their photograph taken They had dressed in their Sunday finest for the occasion. John removed his hat when when they arrived at the Brompton Road studio and the couple were shown to a corner where a suitable backdrop had been unfurled beside some furniture. 
Either they or the photographer had chosen the scene. A pleasant outdoor image featuring a set of garden steps leading to a church in the distance. The canvas was flanked by drapery and intended to look as if the sitters were posing before a large picture window. Annie was placed at the centre, upon a chair, while John was directed to stand beside her and to lean with casual authority against a wood and plaster plinth. As this was a photograph commemorating the start of a new marriage, the photographer rested a Bible on Annie's lap. Annie, a wife and would-be mother, was to be the family guardian of all that was sacred in the state of matrimony. Fidelity, fecundity, compassion, meekness, servility and cleanliness of body and soul. Oh man, I like I really do forget how people used to talk like that. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's really interesting though, the way that they've described like how this picture would be set up because I've never really mm-hmm. thought about that. Yeah, exactly. Like it's moments like that that capture what I really enjoyed about it that it's not just a book of facts in having these you know instances that aren't anything to do with their murders allows us to identify with these women and their many stories their moments that aren't important in the Ripper case but they are important in these women's lives mm. and as well I will just say I think this book could be a great resource for anyone like me who studies Victorian literature or even gothic literature just because it gives you an insight into what life was like um, mm. and there really isn't a huge focus on the murders it's not a gory book or anything like that but it gives you a really good picture of life yeah that's good that it doesn't sensationalize the murders but like really goes into the lives of the victims yeah sometimes like my issue with true crime is like obviously Jack Ruffer's dead but like Mm-hmm. sometimes I think like you risk sensationalizing a lot of the time yeah even if you're even if you're well-intentioned about it yeah but yeah, exactly. like that giving so much that's nothing to do with the murders really like grounds it I suppose mm-hmm. Hallie constantly hammers home the idea that these women were mistreated by society so whether it's being divorced, an alcoholic, or getting pregnant without being married, these women were already victimised by the patriarchy before Jack the Ripper reached them. And no one story is the same. So there are five sections, one for each of the women, which all detail the individual lives of these women. And although there are some similar situations, you know, they obviously all ended up on the street by the end, apart from Mary Jane Kelly. Their lives really are quite diverse, but what binds them together is the cycle of being let down by all the systems that were supposed to have helped them. And shame was a huge factor as well, which means that even if these women had people to help them, they didn't reach for that help because, you know, they wouldn't want to burden anyone Mm. else. And each section ends with Halle summarising the events that led to the women being targeted by the killer, which I should add is never in like a victim blaming way. Yeah, she she treats everyone with respect. She's just she is just laying out all the things that all the atrocities that happened to this woman that could have been prevented, basically. Yeah, that's um, such a cool take on. You'd think that there wouldn't be much to add to Jack the Ripper by this point. So I've got quite a lot of quotes for this. I think just because it's non-fiction, she explains everything better than I could. So so that's why I'm using quite a lot of quotes today. Go for it, man. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, this quote about Annie Chapman before her death is particularly harrowing. 
The yard adjacent to 29 Hanbury Street was not a place Annie stumbled upon accidentally in the early morning hours of the 8th of September, but a familiar space that she would have sought for its solitude. She would have known about the gap between the house's steps and the fence. It was an ideal spot in which to curl up with her back against the wall, and she would have been relieved to find it vacant. Of the many tragedies which befell Annie Chapman in the final years of her life, Perhaps one of the most poignant was that she needn't have been on the streets on that night or on any other. Instead, she might have lain in a bed in her mother's house or rested in her sister's care on the other side of London. She might have been treated for tuberculosis. She might have been comforted by the embraces of her children. At every turn, there had been a hand reaching to pull her from the abyss, but the countertug of addiction was more forceful and the grip of shame just as strong. It was this that pulled her under, that had extinguished her hope and in her life many years earlier. What her murderer claimed on that night was simply all that remained of what the drink had left behind. I know that summarisation might make it seem like I'm just blitzing past all the tragedies in Annie's life, but I only have so much time on this oh, podcast. That, 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 like um, you, can completely under, you can see from just that, though, yeah. everything. It's like the domino effect. And I can assure like anyone listening that Hallie gives them like gives every woman's story their respect and all the time and space that it deserves. I'm just having to summarise today. Oh my goodness, that's so sad though. Yeah, it, it's obviously it's a sad book. It's tough to read because of the topic, but the way that she writes, it didn't feel too heavy, strangely mm-hmm. enough. Cause you have those moments like the photograph that I like talked about. Yeah. you know there's no tragedy in that in that yeah. scene there's kind of she gives you like a buffer mm-hmm. and kind of a space to breathe but then you have quotes like the one that I just read that is just so heartbreaking but I think probably that buffer from what you're saying probably enhances how heartbreaking it is as well because it's not just sometimes you can get a bit desensitized to just like violence mm, yeah. tragedy violence tragedy whereas like that really makes well obviously they were real people but it, it brings them to life as characters you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Rather than just names on a historical record, I really want to read that. And I'm not really usually one for crime-based mm-hmm. stuff, but like, just I'm interested in a lot of the historical aspect as well, like what you're saying, the description of what life was like and things like that. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, I don't mind true crime. I I do enjoy like reading about it and watching it but I do prefer the historical ones because I I do think it gives you that bit of distance Mm. like I I don't really like reading about true crime from you know today no neither (laughs) do I it freaks me out too much man and it feels a bit I don't know it feels a bit distasteful a bit tabloidy sometimes yeah even even really well handled sometimes I yeah there's a podcast I listen to called All Kill and No Fella and and they're great they are comedians so it is like a funny mm-hmm. podcast but the way they talk about the victims because they are mostly women is very respectful and you know they will tear apart the serial killer <laughs> and talk about how horrible he because it's normally a man is but they will be very respectful to the victims which is obviously which is what yeah. I liked about this book obviously definitely I love that well I'm so, glad that you liked your present <laughs> yeah yeah I wanted to end on like a bit of a longer quote just because I think Hallie's words are going to be 
better than my own. But this quote kind of sums up the reason why Hallie wrote the book. We have grown so comfortable with the notion of Jack the Ripper, the unfathomable, invincible male killer, that we have failed to recognise that he continues to walk among us. In his top hat and cape, wielding his blood-drenched knife, he can be spotted regularly in London on posters and ads on the sides of buses. Bartenders have named drinks after him. Shops use his boniker on their signs. Tourists from around the world make pilgrimages to Whitechapel to walk in his footsteps and to visit a museum dedicated to his violence. The world has learned to dress up in his costume at Halloween, to imagine being him, to honour his genius, to laugh at a murderer of women. By embracing him, we embrace a set of values that surrounded him in 1888, which teaches women that they are of a lesser value and can expect to be dishonoured and abused. We enforce the notion that bad women deserve punishment and that prostitutes are a subspecies of female. In order to keep him alive, we have had to forget his victims. We have become complicit in their diminishment. When we repeat the accepted Ripper legend in newspapers, in television documentaries and on the internet, when we teach it to school children without questioning the origins of the story and its sources, without considering the reliability of the evidence or the assumptions that contributed to forming it, we not only assist in perpetuating the injustices committed against Polly, Addie, Elizabeth, Kate and Mary Jane, but we also condone the basest forms of violence. It is only by bringing these women back to life that we can silence the Ripper and what he represents. By permitting them to speak, by attempting to understand their experiences and see their humanity, we can restore to them the respect and compassion to which they are entitled. The victims of Jack the Ripper were never just prostitutes. They were daughters, wives, mothers, sisters and lovers. They were women. They were human beings. And surely that in itself is enough. Honestly, like that feels so prescient right now. Like yeah. the idea of say say your victims' names. Yeah, exactly. I think this book has come out at the at the right time. You know, it's a historical piece, but so much of it can still be applied now, which is horrific and mm. sad. But it, you know, it's a good eye opener, definitely. Yeah, I think as well because a lot of people just what we were saying about us, we don't like dealing with things that are now. Like mm. we don't like that kind of media but we'll happily dive into history I think when you've got writers writing historical books that are so relevant to now mm-hmm. it it helps you to like learn those necessary lessons and like think about all those necessary things without becoming overwhelmed and just like shutting it all out yeah and as well she's just given all the women like their dignity back like she said and it's true that Jack the Ripper is a household name now. And I like reading fictional accounts about him. Like, I obviously talked about the stock in Jack the Ripper mm-hmm. series in episode one. But even in that series, like, Carrie Maniscalco gave the victims, you know, she she humanised them. And the main character, Audrey Rose, when she was doing, like, the autopsies on them, she was thinking to herself, like, these were women, like, you know, it could have been me and she would call out when the men would just kind of treat them like all oh, their, you know, dead bodies. They were just prostitutes. And she'd be like, no, actually, like, you know, and, and list off a million <laughs> reasons why they should be respected. But yeah, I know this book's a dark 
subject but I think it was very fascinating reads and I've never read a true crime book that respects the victims as much as this one which is why I really enjoyed it. What's your infatuation (laughs) this week? My infatuation this week is well it started off with a book Mm -hmm. called Set Me on Fire A Poem for Every Feeling by Ella Risbridger but (laughs) Basically, my infatuation now is just Ella Risbridger. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm just going to talk a bit about her and about the book um, and about why I love them both. Great. Ella Risbridger, first of all, she's a writer and an editor and a poet. And I saw it in Waterstones and I really liked the title Set Me on Fire, A Poem for Every Feeling. Because I just thought, oh, well, that's an interesting, it's like a kind of BuzzFeedy title, you know. I was like, oh, yes. a list. I, I got the book and I love the book and I'll talk about that in a second. She's a London writer. Um, she was a pool columnist for a long time and her column was My Life in Poems. And I'm just like, how did I miss that? I, that sounds like it was a good column. You might have heard of her through the story of John Underwood. Now, John Underwood kind of blew up on social media a while back. Oh, hi, Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> Emily's dad just on space there, but he just opened it and was like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, John Underwood kind of blew up on social media a few years ago, and I vaguely remember this. He was a guy that had cancer and he was 25, um, and he did loads of blogging about um, Oh, his yeah, that sounds familiar, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was, like, live-tweeting like he was at the hospital and he was having all these weird symptoms and he thought that it was going to be just something small and then they told him that he had cancer. And, it, yeah, so it kind of took off and he did loads of fundraising. And Ella Risbridger was his girlfriend at the time. Ah, okay. she obviously helped a lot with his fundraising. And yeah, there's just this really beautiful story of... So they met and they were just, you know, they were younger than us now. And they fell in love and then he got sick and he died in 2018. And there's a Guardian article about her journey with love and friendship mm-hmm. um, throughout his um, sickness and his diagnosis. She writes a lot about platonic love and the group of friends that they have sort of surrounding them, that kind of chosen family throughout it all. So I thought I'd start with a little extract from that rather than the book just to give you an idea of her because I, I thought it was nice. The word friend has to cover all manner of sins. It has to mean that girl you work with but don't want to offend, a mutual Twitter follower that you've never met but speak to every day, the flatmate who makes you toast every morning. It's the same word for someone you've just met as for someone who's known you your whole life. It's the same word for somebody you kind of like as for somebody without whom you feel like you might die. We just don't have the vocab because, culturally speaking, we don't really believe that friendship matters. We're just friends, we say, of someone we love dearly but aren't sleeping with. Just friends, nothing more, as if friendship were some sort of place on the road to monogamous sex on tap. Because we're obsessed with couples, with the one. The one is friendship plus. The one is the most evolved Pokemon of love. This is, when you think about it, a profoundly curious idea. A real multiple-egg, single-basket distribution error. I didn't used to think like this, even with my flexible definitions of family expanding and contracting depending on who I was around. I was pretty sure that it was just a question of finding the right one, 
I thought that with the right one, I'd do it all properly. Nuclear family with all the bits correctly labelled like a diagram in a science textbook. And then you see, I met him. He was, and I am unbiased here, really something. He was a smasher. He was funny and mean and beautiful and clever, and I absolutely worshipped him, and then he died. The rest of the article is about John, but it's also about friends that kept them going and kept everything together. It's about Caroline and Harry and Lily and Letty and Catherine and Cornelia. There's so many people in this article and it's absolutely beautiful and I love it and I think everyone should read it. Oh, that sounds lovely. Um, It really is. I didn't know that about Ella Risbridger before I bought her book. She also has a cookbook called Midnight Chicken, which she's very famous for. And her Instagram, in her own words, is mostly poems and pictures of cards. So basically, I was like, oh, this, this girl seems really cool. And then I like started researching her and I found all of this. And I thought, how can someone so young have so many stories already? It's just incredible. Anyway, I'll move on to the book now <laughs> and stop fangirling about Ella herself. <laughs> but yeah, so this is a book I got for Christmas because I asked for it. And it's really given me a new love for the anthology as a as an art form because mm-hmm. I feel like when people's anthology I think of like the Norton anthology that we have at uni that is prescribed and it's like a doorstop <laughs> and it's yeah. so boring but this is an anthology of poems and it is exactly what it says on the tin it's a poem for every feeling and it's structured by feelings this is like one of my favorite things about the book is that you can open it up And the contents page has every poem in the book in order, but alongside the titles, there's sort of emotions written. So it starts off at happy um, and then it goes to hungry and it has a subcategory of mothers in there. Mm -hmm. You've got wanting, waiting, on being done, close of day, overthinking, rage. My favourite subcategory is this is probably over, huh? (laughs) fathers the end of the world and last words so the feelings all sort of follow like this like really happy to really sad and it's sort of beginning to end of any sort of relationship with with family and friends and love all kind of mixed in and -hmm. I just thought that was such an interesting way to structure a book because you literally can dive in and if for whatever you're feeling that day well there's going to be a poem for it what sets this apart as well as an anthology is that she isn't a silent collector of poems. She's as equally infatuated with the poetry as I am with this book. Um, <laughs> and she shows that with little footnotes. There will be a line or a verse that she will do a little asterisk and then down the bottom she'll make a couple of comments. And sometimes the comments are literally a sentence. Sometimes it's a full page of her writing a little mini essay on the poem it's not written in an academic way it's all quite informal and it's all personal it's what she takes from the poem I love poetry but I'm not that well educated about it I don't know sort of the relationships of between different canons and things like that so this is just a really valuable resource for somebody that wants to be more knowledgeable but doesn't necessarily want to study I like the idea that she's given like her insight too because I sort of view a lot of poets as they write their poem and they have that kind of like the reader can interpret it mm-hmm. however they like kind of thing whereas she's kind of telling you like I mean I'm assuming she doesn't just spell it all out but I'm she kind of gives you a vague idea of yeah of what it's well, about I'm, 
I'm going to read out my favourite, um, and I'm going to also read her response to it, and you'll mm-hmm. see kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so it's in a section called Hungry and Wanting, which obviously is my favourite section. Um, <laughs> and it's called Peanut Butter by Eileen Miles. I am always hungry and wanting to have sex. This is a fact. If you get right down to it, the new unprocessed peanut butter is no damn good and you should buy it in a jar, as always, in the largest supermarket you know. And I am an enemy of change, as you know. All the things I embrace as new are in fact old things re-released. Swimming, the sensation of being dirty in body and mind, summer as a time to do nothing and make no money, prayer as a last resort. Pleasure as a means, and then a means again with no ends in sight. I am absolutely in opposition to all kinds of goals. I have no desire to know where this, anything, is getting me. When the water boils, I get a cup of tea. Accidentally, I read all the works of Proust. It was summer, I was there, so was he. I write because I would like to be used for years after my death. Not only my body will be compost, but the thoughts I left during my life. During my life, I was a woman with hazel eyes. Out the window is a crooked silo. Parts of your body I think of as stripes which I have learned to love along. We swim naked in ponds and I write behind your back. My thoughts about you are not exactly forbidden, but exalted because they are useless. Not intended to get you because I have you and you love me. It's more like a playground where I play with my reflection of you until you come back into the real you and I get to sink my teeth. With you, I know how to relax. And so I work behind your back, which is lovely. Nature is out of control and you tell me that's what's so good about it. I'm immoderately in with you, knocked out by all your new white hair. Shouldn't something I have always known be the very best there is? I love you from my childhood, starting back there when one day was just like the rest, random growth and breezes, constant love, a sandwich in the middle of the day, a tiny step in the vastly conventional path of the sun. I squint, I wink, I take the ride. (laughs) That's like probably one of my favourite poems ever because it's gorgeous but here's what Ella has to say about it Mm -hmm. so near the start there was a line that said I am absolutely in opposition to all kinds of goals and she has a little asterisk that comes onto this so there's this tarot card the fool the fool is all going to places without purpose going away onwards out going forward I think a lot about the fool when I read a line like this I am absolutely in opposition to all kinds of goals and why not what goal am I supposed to have apart from love and peanut butter? Oh, so right, and I like I love it. So I I learned something there, right? I learned about that tarot card. I didn't know that before I read that. Yeah. So she's like bringing her own knowledge and experience to the poem, but also just she's just appreciating it. She's just saying like I love yeah. this. Then on the line that is also one of my favorite lines that says I'm immoderately in love with you. She has an asterisk get immoderately and immoderately. Who wants to be loved any other way but immoderately? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, there's a. I I think you've read this out to me before. Probably. Um, 
yeah and I, I remember when you you because you read out that bit about um immoderately <laughs> and it always reminds me of there's a in one of the shadow hunter books a character says i'm catastrophically in love with you oh and i'm just like yeah that's what you want <laughs> that is the goal right oh my. yeah that's so interesting and there's so many, yeah there's so many little bits like that like i won't even read the poem that this is from but one of her notes that i've just opened at a random page says it took me 14 years of reading this poem almost every day to realise that the wave is going home because it's returning to the sea where it came from. Poem, always something new. That that wasn't from the poem I read out, but, you know, just her noticing things and pointing them out that maybe you would have noticed yourself, maybe you wouldn't have. You can feel like you're just kind of wading around in the dark. Yeah. You know what you're supposed to be looking at. And I like that she kind of tells you something you mm-hmm. can look at. Yeah somewhere to start so yeah I'm really really enjoying this book I go back to it a lot and I'd really recommend the book to anybody that like me just hasn't really appreciated anthologies for what they can be and that wants to feel a little bit more knowledgeable without having to go and study it sounds like it would be be good for people who don't really have never really read poetry because you'll be getting a bunch of different styles and oh yeah yeah. like that that one I read is quite modern, but there's ones, there's loads of different ethnicities of poet. Um, there's a lot of Asian poets. There's a lot of black poets. There's classics, like there's The Pomegranate by Even Boland, which is a very famous poem. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another one called, da, 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 there's like Wedding Wind by Philip Larkin, um, which is another sort of one that you might have studied oh, I, at school. Yeah, I think I know that one. You know, so there's there's like pillars that you can recognize but then there's loads and loads of poets and poems that I've never heard of so yeah it's a great book just to get an idea of all the different things that are out there and like I say you you can go by how you're feeling that day yeah I love that Emily how's your writing been going this week yeah it's been good actually so last week well we both said actually that we hadn't really done any writing but this week I have so so that's good yeah I I think I have like half of a novel which is mad that's Um, so good well I've got the word count we'll we'll see where we go but (laughs) (laughs) well done you thank you so yeah last week we talked about finding inspiration from like visual things mm. and the week before that I was talking about getting inspiration from like quotes from other books mm. and so today I thought I would add another source of inspiration and I would talk about being inspired by music Ooh. so I listen to music like 95% of the time <laughs> when I'm writing because I find it gets me into like a certain mood especially if I've like tailored a playlist towards like a particular mood and I know a lot of people like to listen to instrumentals rather than things with lyrics but I quite like having people singing because I I feel like I connect to the emotion more that Mm. way it's kind of how it works in my brain but yeah one song that I found um recently is called I Really Love You by Gibbs and from the second I heard it I knew I had to write something that like captured the feeling that this song gave me. So it's it is a romantic song, but most of it is the guy just yelling "I fucking love you" over like really cool music. Love 
so like when I first heard it I thought it was the kind of song that you would have in a film the main couple have just kissed for like the first time or like they've just Mm. like got together and it's you know a montage of like fun summer moments of them like frolicking on a beach and (laughs) like sharing ice cream and all that kind of you know driving with the top down yeah exactly so yeah basically I wanted to write a scene that captured that kind of feeling and in my novel there is a love story and I feel like those lyrics are kind of how they feel like that their love is worth like shouting and swearing about constantly (laughs) so yeah so it really helps me get like write that kind of montage scene but also I like I've started playing it when I'm writing any scene where they're just kind of happy together because it just kind of like makes me go into that mood um so yeah that's (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's really cute so yeah that's just one example of how I use music which is like a you know you hear a song and you immediately get like a picture in your mind but I use it in other ways like sometimes I really lean into the lyrics that kind of help me out so like how I would look at like a book quote like mm. kind of really look at the words or just using it to like set the mood while I'm writing and it's something I think I'll, I'll talk about more because, like I said, I have a playlist for my novel that I'm like always adding to when I come across a song. So I have like an abundance of songs to <laughs> talk about that have inspired me. But yeah, yeah, I thought I would just give you that example because it's one that I found really recently that yeah. sparked an idea. And I thought I would just ask you while we're here, like, do you use music to get inspiration? Can you even write? along to music or do you have to have like silence well yeah I do I you know this I definitely do (laughs) use music to get inspiration definitely does it's like a huge source of creativity for me and I often get the same kind of thing as you where I'll hear a song and if it has a really strong like sonic mood I'll do like a music video in my head of of, like a story that will play out um and I've I've definitely written based on that before I don't tend to listen to music while I write though it's more that I'll be listening to music and that will spark something in me and then I'll go write it but when I'm actually writing I struggle to have music on I actually often listen to white noise well, at the time I'm in coffee shops and stuff when it's not locked down, so it, it helps me concentrate. I, I do, I have a recent example of that as well. I was listening to Folding Chair by Regina Spector, and it's a really like beachy, happy, upbeat song, which is unusual for Regina Spector. <laughs> yeah. But her voice in it just, her voice is always so sort of clear and like it's almost like a bell, is how I think of it. It's so like it rings out. And so that coupled with like, it was like like a jaunty melody. And one of the lines is, there's a shadow, you can't see my eyes. And the sea is just a wetter version of the sky. And I love that image, like when you're somewhere so beautiful and sunny and warm that the sea and the sky just look exactly the same. I ended up writing like a whole chapter of my novel taking place in Greece, which I'd alluded to before, but I didn't know I was going to write I didn't know I was going to write that scene. I thought that was just yeah. going to be like part of the backstory. But I wrote like 5,000 words or something on a beach. It was really fun. I like. I recommend having a playlist for people like if they are writers. Just like songs that inspire you. Like they can be totally different moods and 
you know, like the playlist that I have for this novel, there's some really sad ones, there's some really upbeat ones, there's romantic ones, there's like quite dark ones. And I'll just kind of like pick and choose what ones I want to listen to, like yeah. for whatever scene I'm writing. So yeah, that's a, that's just a tip that helps me that I thought I would share this week. Well, for my writing this week, I don't have anything quite so handy or useful <laughs> to bring you because I've done fuck all. I wrote one paragraph and then before this phone call, accidentally deleted it all. So it's not been an entirely productive week for me. But I did have an interesting conversation about writing that I wanted to bring to you. Mm-hmm. A lot of the fun for writing for me comes from not knowing what I'm going to write next or what mm-hmm. the scene that where the scene that I'm writing is going to take me. The problem that I've been having recently is that I keep solving it before I've written it. So, for example, I wanted to write a scene about like the Icarus myth and the sun and I thought mm-hmm. how is it going to bring I've written about this? that I thought, before <laughs> yeah right I wanted but I wanted to allude to that but I wanted to fit it into my novel and I thought how yeah. am I gonna how am I gonna fit it in? and then immediately straight away the answer came to my brain and I was like oh that's how it fits and I hadn't even written it yet and I had the same thing with my other with my music um, non-fiction project Okay, so here's a more concrete example, actually. I wanted to write about the difference between romance and love and sort of use my parents' relationship as a model for that. That that was the topic that I wanted to tackle. And the song that I sort of associate with all that is Head Over Feet by Alanis Morissette. And I thought, I'm going to just go and sit down, I'm going to listen to the song, and then I'm going to just start writing and it takes me somewhere. But the line in the song that... I had no choice but to hear you. You stated your case time and again, right? When I was little, I thought that that line said, you stated your case diamond again. And immediately I thought of that and I thought, oh, that's the key right there. As I I misheard that lyric when I was little, I thought it was diamond, diamonds are engagement rings, blah, 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 romance. Mm -hmm. And actually the line is time and again. And that's much more realistic about what lasting <laughs> yeah. love is that's it that's the piece of writing and then mm-hmm. and then I just didn't write it <laughs> I don't, how do you slog through a scene or a piece of writing when you've already solved it yeah that's tough because sometimes I do I go to write a scene and I know how the scene has to end so like mm-hmm. maybe it's like the end of a chapter or something it's so, like you know it's kind of a rule of thumb that your chapter sort of ends on a cliffhanger so that yeah. people keep reading right so you like you know what the big dramatic like da 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 yeah. is, but you have to get to it. And yeah, it can be quite hard to then write the scene because you're. I'll maybe write a paragraph, and I'll be like, oh, but I know how the end is, and I can sum up in a sentence. Yeah, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then you don't get a chapter; you just get a paragraph of you laying out what's going to happen, which is yeah. not what you want. Not fun. No. no. Um, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I have any advice or an answer to that because I do struggle with that as well I suppose if I'm trying to think about what I would do is I maybe just go into too much detail and I just write like loads and then would then go back and cut it away so that the story flows better but that's easier said than done that is a shout though because if you just say what I'm do you know what I mean like I'm gonna write everything I've got to say about this yeah you'll be able to the story out of that but it's just, do you know what? It's, it's just laziness. It's just me lacking discipline. Yeah. I just need to do it. But yeah. yeah. 
So sometimes writer's not that fun, and that's my thoughts for this. <laughs> Emily, do you have a quick fire favourite this week? I do. And it's another song. You're getting another song from me today. So this song is called Tough to Be a Dreamer by Felix Hagen and the Family. I love this song! Oh, do you know it? Okay, good. So I've only just discovered it. Spotify recommended it to me. And it's basically like the Pisces anthem. So yeah, I'm like the biggest daydreamer in the world and real life can be disappointing sometimes when you're (laughs) constantly daydreaming about what it could be. And that's what the song's about. So I'll read out the chorus. I know obviously you know it, but I'll read it out for everyone else. Because it's tough to be a dreamer when they don't come true. Nothing seems to happen and you can't break through. Feel like your blossoming is overdue and you realise no one's going to give the world to you. Well, ain't no use in crying, darling, so they say. Find the thing you love to do and make it pay. Nothing you accomplish matters anyway. So all that really counts is how you live today. So it's not all dim and gloom, obviously. It's like, yeah. it's about embracing <laughs> what is real. But yeah, the first time I heard it, I, I laughed because I was like, oh, I feel so seen. <laughs> I didn't think you'd like Felix Hagen and the Family, which is why I've never recommended them I, to I you. don't know any other song. That's so yeah, funny because I saw him live. He was he was supporting Frank Turner when I saw Frank Turner live. Uh, oh. um, have you seen their aesthetic? It is wild. Like he has this weird kind of kiss makeup, but like not as intense. And like this big hair. It's just chaotic. I love it. I'm gonna have to have a look through their discography and see if I can find anything new. But yeah, that's my quick fire favourite. What nice is yours one. this week? Mine this week is a song also. Um, this is just going to become a music podcast. <laughs> I'm really late to the party with this song because it was in the charts last year um, and I just, like, I heard it but I kind of missed it. It's If the World Was Ending by J.P. Sachs featuring Julia Michaels. The chorus, right, on its own, is what I remember from the charts. Do you know the song off the name? No, but I know who Julia Michaels is. I knew I recognised the chorus when I heard it, but I mm-hmm. I hadn't been I hadn't been that impressed by it when I first heard it, but I'd only really heard it in passing. Mm-hmm. But my my friend Ray recommended it to me the other day, and I sat down and I listened to it properly, and it's a duet, obviously. Is this like apocalyptic love song about two people that so they're living their separate lives, they've broken up, they they are not together anymore, and they know they're not right for each other, but then there's an earthquake and then they both start thinking about each other and what would happen if the world was ending. The second verse, I always love the second verse. Um, (laughs) The second verse is, I tried to imagine your reaction. It didn't scare me when the earthquake happened, but it really got me thinking that night we went drinking, stumbled in the house and didn't make it past the kitchen. It's been a year now and I think I figured out how to think about you without it ripping my heart out. And I know, and you know, and we know that you weren't down for forever, and it's fine. And I know, and you know, and we know that we weren't meant for each other, and it's fine. But if the world was ending, you'd come over, right? Just, I like songs that are about people that objectively shouldn't be together, but they still love each other. Yeah. And so then, anyway, to cut a long story short, based on that song, I made an apocalyptic playlist. So if anyone's interested in that... (laughs) <laughs> please hit me up because I 
I've now just gone and found loads of songs that are about people loving each other while the world's ending. I feel like I have some of those. I'll have to send them your way. <laughs> yes, please do. I'm now on a mission to curate my apocalyptic romance playlist. Nice. Julia Michaels wrote a song with Five Sauce on their, is it their newest album? No, the one before mm. called Lie to Me. That was in the chart, so you might know that one. But it's like, it's I know if you don't, but if I ask you if you love me, won't you lie, 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 lie mm. to me? <laughs> and it's just like, oh. oh. So, yeah. yeah, we love Julia Michaels. <laughs> Okay, what is your rant for this week? Do you know what? I don't have that much of a rant this week because (laughs) I've been absolutely taken out by this migraine that I can't even properly get my rage going. However, Mm. I have a baby rant. We're all coming out of lockdown now. It's glorious. We get to go and get coffee. We get to see our friends in real life. I get to see you in real life soon. It's very exciting. (laughs) However, Mm. don't be a dick about it see already a certain elderly relative of mine bless her just walked right in the house and I was like I took her all the way around the back to the garden it was sunny yeah. we were outside it was an outdoor visit mm-hmm. and then she's like I go away for five seconds and then she's at the house and I'm like I'm trying not to kill you I'm trying, <laughs> to, I'm trying to make you not die they just don't care. So no. if you're old, or even if you're not old, but especially if you are old, just don't be a dick about it. Stay yeah. out of people's houses. There's a fucking pandemic. Anyway, that's my rant. I can't Can I that. also just add, as someone who's about to go back to work in retail, wear your masks in the shops because you've been told to. But yeah, you'll get a £60 fine if you don't. So wear your goddamn wear your mask. mask. Stay out of people's houses. Do you have an insight for me? I do. So I actually have an app to share today, Oh, which is funny because you were just talking about tarot cards and I'm about to mention that. So yeah, I mentioned in the last episode that I have been like drawn to learn about tarot recently and it's because it's popped up in quite a few novels that I've read Mm -hmm. and then I also found a use for it in my own novel. But the thing is, I don't know a lot about tarot cards or tarot readings, so I wanted to like research about it to understand how it works not to like use it (laughs) but just so that when I'm writing about it I don't sound like an idiot or like Mm. I've missed the point it's okay Emily if you want to just Um, say that you want to be a tarot fortune teller I'm not I I don't though I really don't (laughs) um (laughs) but you know anyway so I went scouring the internet for like resources about it and I found this app which is called I think you pronounce it Labyrinthos. Right. And this is an app which is used to teach you like all things tarot. So they do have a website, but the app is easier to navigate, I found. And they have the option to like do readings on there, like for practice. Mm. So there are like lessons to take, like there's little quizzes and like loads of resources, articles, lists of what the cards represent, the different kinds of readings. You can learn about like dream symbolization and Hmm. zodiac stuff too so yeah their kind of ethos is that tarot can help you learn about yourself so they say 
I'm just quoting from their website here. The story you tell about yourself greatly influences the way you think about your future. Tarot is about helping you tell your story, finding facets you might have missed. So I think it'll be a good resource for my writing for that reason, because they have this that kind of focus on stories and like the stories that you tell yourself. So yeah, I've not looked through it all yet. I've only had it a couple days, but it seems cool and it's very aesthetically pleasing. So if you're interested in tarot, whether you want to like learn how to do it or just want to read about it, it's free as well. So free app. Love that. Have you told yourself any little, have you made up any little tarot stories since having no, it? No, I've, I've, all I've done on it is go through like the quizzes on what each card represents. I'm still trying to work that out. It'll kind of show you like a card and be like, it'll give you a, a list of words and it'll be like, what words? you know matches this kind of thing I see Um, so it's got it's got all I'm doing those kind of quizzes at the moment just so I can try and like learn it and then I might I might try it and we'll we'll see but yeah I more so wanted to I just want to be able to write about it and not sound like a fool like a fool yeah (laughs) although the fool is not a bad thing the fool is like an innocent it means like a new beginning like you're an innocent searching for a (laughs) for a journey kind of thing so yeah so that that's it that's my recommendation I love that that sounds really fun so I found the question this week this is from our friend Hannah and she has asked us books you thought you'd love but didn't this is interesting I'll go first because I've I've had a minute to to think about it the thing is I don't I often don't buy books I don't think I'll like Mm. I know that sounds stupid but I like unless I'm really sure about it I don't tend to buy a book so I'm Mm. I'm normally not disappointed but one that came to my mind was Anno Dracula by Kim Newman Mm. um, which I read I think it was last year I read it and I did enjoy it I liked it but I didn't love it for anyone who doesn't know that is it's actually another Jack the Ripper retelling I didn't pick it (laughs) for a theme (laughs) Um, but yeah it's it's kind of like blending Jack the Ripper and Dracula and the story's cool I like the main characters but every paragraph there's like at least two references to some other gothic novel or Mm. or like a real life like figure so you know there's like Sherlock Holmes and Jekyll and Hyde and Carmilla and like there's loads of it feels like name drops basically right which is fun like it's fun to see all the little easter eggs especially if you really like gothic literature but it's a series of books and I just could not picture myself reading the full series. I think I just get sick of it, to be honest. Sorry, Kim Newman. But um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it was fun. Yeah. But by the end, it was just a bit much. And I don't think I would read any more of them, even though I, I quite liked the two main characters. But yeah, that was the first one I thought of. Sometimes as well, books that people recommend because they seem like so you you've already read so much of that genre. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, like, it really has to be at the top of the genre because you're like, but I've read the best versions of this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think probably the first one that comes to mind for me is Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Which 
because I I read that after we saw the film, mm-hmm. so obviously I knew the story, and I loved the film. I absolutely adored the film, mm-hmm. and the book isn't that different to the film. And maybe it would have been different if I hadn't seen the film, but I think I just I really expected to love the book as much. The writing style for me felt felt like it over explained a lot of what the film obviously cut out everything that was extra in the book I, I felt like it could have been cut I don't know I just didn't light my fire to be honest yeah I'm kind of intrigued to read because I think it's a trilogy and mm. I'm intrigued to read the others too because as of now there is no sequel film so yeah. I, I wonder what it would be like reading the book without having seen like a, a film adaptation of it yeah I think maybe one day I'd read the sequels but I, I agree with you I think I would watch the film again before I read the book again for sure yeah definitely and I, I think as, as well the the tone of the film and the tone of the book are slightly different and yeah. the film yeah. is more I feel like the film was a bit more overtly tongue-in-cheek than the book was I just mm-hmm. got on better with the film and it's not often that I'd say that because I'm not I'm normally a proper the book yeah star. Yeah, I'm yeah. normally that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that was a good question, though. That was actually quite hard to think of a book that. I know. As always, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can email us at. Um... <laughs> God, what's your email? In fact, podcast at outlook.com. We have social media, which I will link in the show notes, as always, along with everything that we've talked about. That will all be linked in there as well. Thank you for listening if you got this far. Okay, okay see you next okay, week. Bye. See you. Bye. 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 Bye.